a lot of people. Good morning, everyone. I was going to say it's good to be back at Strasbourg, and it is. And I was trying to figure out why it feels like I've been away so long. I was here last week. I guess it was just a long week. I was asked recently about getting back to Ephesians and the series working through Ephesians. And I had planned to pick up the second half of Ephesians 5 this morning, but it has not gone that way. Um, I haven't had trouble getting lessons from the passage. In fact, quite the opposite. Um, I've spent a lot of time trying to boil those lessons down into a sermon-sized message. And uh, I feel like I was bringing the heat, but nothing was boiling down. So anyway... um, I'll trust God to keep bringing that together. Um, And so as I realized that it was not right to to proceed with Ephesians 5 this morning, um, I was praying and thinking about what passages had spoken to me recently. And um, this morning we're going to consider two scriptural boat rides. The title I have on my message here is Two Boat Rides. You can turn to the book of Jonah to start. That's the first boat ride we're going to look at. Jonah is a fascinating case study in the mercy of God. Um, This will not be a sermon all about Jonah. You could make a very full sermon just looking at these four chapters um, in this book. Um, It's hard not to see Jonah as a no-good, rotten man who resents God for his mercy um, when you read the whole book of Jonah. Um, Jonah just seems petty in a lot of ways uh, with his... Well, he'd rather see his enemies destroyed and annihilated than forgiven. And so uh, that, that book just is packed with a lot of things. But nestled within the story of um, a very flawed man is his prayer in the second chapter. And um, this prayer gives insight into Jonah's inner struggle. Um, it also tells us a lot about the God to whom we pray. And until my most recent reading of this book, I think I generally skimmed over the prayer in a lot of ways. It was just what you got through to get from the bad in chapter 1 to things getting better in chapter 3. I want to go ahead and read um, Jonah's prayer in Jonah chapter 2. Of course, we know the story. God told him to go and preach repentance, and he threw a hissy fit and ran the other way and got on a boat, And the boat started going up and down quite violently, and the people on the boat wondered, how do we deal with this? And um, eventually Jonah says, well, you just have to throw me overboard. And they said, no, we can't do that. That wouldn't be right, Um, which is an interesting contrast to how Jonah was uh, living his life in the moment. Um, And they tried some more, and it just wasn't going. And so eventually they, with great sorrow, threw Jonah overboard. It's uh, of note to me that Jonah still, there's no indication that he was praying yet. Um, 
through all of that. Not asking for intercession, just anyway. So Jonah is thrown into the water. And verse 17 of chapter 1, the Lord prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, chapter one, verse, chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly, and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me, weeds wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. This seems like a great lesson to have a flannel graph up here to move all the little scenery around and the, the pieces around. We're not going to do that this morning, but you can maybe imagine the pictures God sending his prophet to a wicked people to proclaim the judgment of God. Jonah, instead of going, runs away from God by sailing the opposite direction. Jonah is God's chosen instrument, but he is a leaky vessel. And despite the futility, he seeks to run away from the presence of the Lord in uh, Jonah 1.3. Clearly, he wants no part of Nineveh. The storm rages those... Non-believing seafarers end up calling out to God for mercy. Um, but again, we don't see Jonah yet even opening his mouth to pray. What can we draw out of Jonah's prayer this morning? The first thing I want to, to focus on or, or note in Jonah's prayer is God still listens. First, Jonah comes to his senses and prays to God. I imagine that as he was flying through the air and ready to hit the water, there could have been a cry that escaped his lips, whether it was just a yelp or whether it was a uh, God help me that uh, I think a lot of us reflexively have in a time of great trauma. Um, when we can't think or say much else, that rises up in us and we say, God help me. Um, I think something came out of him before he hit the water, but the way he describes his descent into the water, gasping for air, covered in darkness, death at his door. Um, I really wonder if Jonah thought he was in hell when he was in that fish. Um, he knew what he was doing. He knew that he was actively running away from what God had called him to do. And... Uh, I don't know that hell smells like a fish market, but he woke up in that in that dark, horrible place. And he regains his senses there. He realizes he's alive. And he sees the desperation of his situation. He prays, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. He answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried, and you heard my voice. 
Despite his disobedience and stubbornness, he calls out to the maker of heaven and earth. Despite attempting to run from God, he now turns to him for deliverance and help. God is always ready to receive the desperate cries of his children. God still listens no matter what situation we find ourselves in. Also, God still reigns. Jonah admits that God's in control. He can't say, those rotten sailors, I can't believe they threw me into the sea. He knows, he sees the hand of a sovereign God at work, even in his crazy situation. He says, you cast me into the deep, all your waves and billows passed over me in verse 3. Desperate situations are not a result of God falling asleep at the wheel. Jonah admits that God is in control even when he did his share of messing up, even when things just go bad. Jonah admits that God is in control. God is still reigning. He is still sovereign even when our safety is compromised. And the last thing I want to pull out of Jonah's prayer here is God still delivers. Jonah concludes that God served uh, saved him for, for a purpose. Jonah is incapacitated. He's not dead yet, and he concludes that God has something for him. God has saved him for a divine purpose. And that's where he prays, I shall again look on your holy temple. Um, you brought my life from the pit. My prayer came to you into your holy temple. God didn't satisfy Jonah's death wish. Back in chapter 1, verse 12, Jonah expresses that he would just rather die. And God is not granting that. Um, he's been pray. He he's been spared to once again worship God in His holy temple. And Jonah makes the correct conclusion that his deliverance has meaning, and even begins to declare God's greatness from the depths where He was residing. Salvation belongs to the Lord. God still listens, God still reigns, God still delivers. Now how might Jonah's prayer shape and inspire our prayers today? What can we learn from his cries out of the depths? One, we need to see the kindness of God and that is unrelenting. We learn that God is still listening. Jonah had just committed a heinous sin and yet God still heard him. No matter what situation I find myself in, I need to remember that God wants me to reach out to him and he wants to have me speak to him. And about the only only thing we have in scripture um, that, that makes it seem like there's something that can get in the way of God hearing us is sin. Um, and uh, here, even in spite of what Jonah had done, God listened. God heard him. Jonah reveals that God is waiting to receive our cries, however desperate, however dejected. He's eager and welcome. He, he's eager to welcome our our humble and broken prayers for His help. We can have confidence that even in the lowest of times that we can come to Jesus with our requests. If we humble ourselves and run to him rather than hiding from him or running away. 
And I was really struck that I just absolutely need to crush that temptation in my life to that, that urge to run and hide when things get hard, when I don't understand wherever, whatever I follow God where he says to go. And, and that's hard. But this passage, this, this account makes it very clear that it, that is my, that's what we're each called to. Of all the people who, who shouldn't have expected their prayers to be answered in a way, it was Jonah. He had openly rebelled against God. When God called, he ran in the other direction. He jumped aboard a ship and tried to flee the, the, the sovereign of the seas. Um, and while the storms raged, he didn't even pray for deliverance. He would have rather drowned than repented in that moment. And yet out of all of that, he comes to his senses and cries out to God. And God listened and answered. If you're riding in some storm of life, if, or even if you're in a, even if you're in a, a Jonah-like season of rebellion this morning, you can pray. God teaches us about a merciful and loving God. Second boat ride I want to look at this morning is in Mark chapter six. And the two things that tie these together um, are the boat ride and the storm. Um, Jonah's situation was brought about by um, his own sin and disobedience. Um, But we have lessons that we can learn there even just in storms of other types. In Mark chapter 6, we have another storm and... uh, These men didn't bring it on themselves the way Jonah did. I've been challenged in the last couple months, um, and when I say that, I don't mean people have been challenging me. Maybe maybe the better word is uh, I've been convicted in the last couple months. That I'm not connected well enough to what's burdening each of you. um, That I don't connect well enough to know what's lifting you up or dragging you down in your day-to-day life. And I I want to change that, and I want to do better about that. Something that I do know is that each of you here this morning are on a journey. And each of you face hardships. Each one faces different things on their life's journey. Each one with specific needs or challenges. Life, family, relationships, work, school, siblings. Um, We've got a lot of uh, families here. Um, my siblings are all grown up and we don't have the interactions we once did. Um, but, uh, yeah, thinking of those of you, um, younger in life and younger in your commitment to Christ and how your siblings can be one of those tools that really sharpen you. Um, we are each on a journey. We each face specific needs and specific challenges. Some people are needing peace. Maybe you seem surrounded by constant wrestling. Maybe it's not even one thing you can put a finger on, but you just feel bombarded right now and you want rest. 
Some of you need wisdom for decisions you're facing. Others need comfort in the middle of pain. Some need healing, maybe physical, maybe emotional or spiritual. We're told to rejoice. One of the most, um, to, to be joyful is, is one of the most repeated commands in scripture. But for me, many days, it seems like a fight for joy. Maybe you feel alone, even in a well-filled room like this. You may feel a loneliness, maybe like you aren't understood or you don't have anyone you deeply connect with. Maybe for some of us, we feel some of all of the above lists. And I don't want to portray this as I think all of you in this room are living horrible lives. Um, Some of you might even be feeling right now like things are going great. You might be on a mountaintop right now. And praise the Lord if you are. But we're all on a journey. And the journey of life has valleys. And at some point we each end up in that part of the path of life that has thorns or is dark or is slippery and steep. And I wish I had the answers here in me, ready to dish out that I have what it takes for my journey and I've got what you need for yours. I don't have that. But I come to the word of the God who knows every need represented in our lives. He knows these needs better than we ourselves even know them. And the God who knows everything that is coming in our lives today, this week, this year, Here in Mark chapter 6, God is working. Jesus sent people out to preach the gospel. They came back and gave their report. Jesus taught that huge crowd, and he fed the 5,000. I really feel like talking more about that, but we don't have time for that. We're going to start reading in Mark chapter 6 at verse 45. We're going to look at a boat ride in a storm. Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 45. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. For they had not understood about the loaves, because their heart was hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and anchored there. And when they came out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him, ran through that whole surrounding region, and began to carry about on beds those who were sick to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he entered, into villages, cities, or in the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might just touch the hem of his garment. And as many touched him were made well. There's so much in this passage. We're going to use the imagery of the storm to help us see God's word to us in the storm. Whatever storm you are in, whatever storm you will find yourself in. I have seven things I want to pull out of these verses. And the first is, Jesus calls you into storms. 
And I'm looking at verse 45 for this. He made his disciples get into the boat. He sent his disciples on a path that would intersect with a storm. And um, this this would have been many hours that they were out there. If you look at the um, in the evening setting out and then um, the uh, the fourth watch when he showed up. Um, I wasn't sure about how the math worked out on that, but from what I could tell, we're talking many hours. Um, now, some storms we face are reaping and sowing. I've done some trashy planting in my life, and God says what I reap, I'm going to sow. Um, and so some of the things I experience, some of the storms I go through, are just the result of reaping and sowing. But there are times when simply going the way Jesus said to go means we're rowing toward a storm or rowing through a storm. I think of Job and Daniel and his three um, friends who ended up in the furnace. Um, Sometimes the following God and his way is what stirs up the storm. In each of those cases, Job, Daniel, the three Hebrew boys, It was their choice to walk the direction God needed them to walk that put them on a path to to face the storm. So when I signed up to follow Jesus, I signed up for storms. And, well, we we know how, how Scripture talks about we can expect storms in this life. If you want to make disciples of all nations, there will be storms. Think of the storm that blew in for... Esmeralda and the work in Peru when she committed her life to Christ. A storm blew in as a direct result of her choice. Sometimes we're rowing hard into the wind and bailing out the boat and wonder, where did I mess up to be here? But we have to open our minds to the fact it may be that because we are following God in his way, our path took us through or into or through that storm. And we have to remember that God is all wise when we face the storms of life and God knows what he's doing. Secondly, Jesus sees you in the storm. Jesus sees you in the storm. Verse 48, Jesus saw the painful progress. He saw the wind was against them. Jesus saw. He knew. He knew where they started. He knew where they were. He knew where they were going. He saw what they saw, but he saw so much more and so many things they didn't see. The wind and the waves caused confusion and concern for those in the boat, but Jesus saw the bigger picture. Yes, he saw the stress in the boat, but he also saw more. I think of Job. Job knew nothing of the conversations God and Satan had in the first couple chapters of Job. Job only saw the storm whirling around him. He didn't see the specific barriers God set up saying, here's where the storm stops. He didn't see where God told Satan, the wind speed can't get higher than this. Job didn't get to see all of that. We get to skim the book of Job from beginning to end, and we see the, this whole the, the story arc through it. Job didn't get that. When we walk through storms, we have a limited perspective. I can never see more than part of the storm. When I read Job, I think about 
where we, we read various places. I, I don't have a good grasp or understanding of, of the spiritual realm and heaven and where God sits and the whole hosts of the heavenly hosts and all of that. Um, but when I read in, in Job 1 and it talks about what appear to be the angels and spiritual beings gathering and giving account to God um, and reading in Revelation and you have the, or, or other places where we have references to the, the hosts of heaven, thousands or ten thousands of angels and and I start to think about Job in light of that and how we talked about free will some in in the um, men's Sunday school class this morning I can almost imagine a hush falling over the host of heaven as they wait to see how Job in his free will is going to respond And Job's attitude and his heart, when he's losing it all, remains, blessed be the name of the Lord. And I can almost then picture that, that host that, that of heaven that, that went into a hush and watched Job's response. I can, I can almost start to imagine what that celebration would have been like around the throne of God when Job said, blessed be the name of the Lord in the midst of his storm. That's a roar that would have been amazing to hear. But Job couldn't see any of that. He was there in the middle of his storm. But Jesus knew. Jesus saw. God was watching. In the midst of the storm, storm Jesus sees it all. Number three, Jesus prays for you in the midst of the storm. And I'm looking at verse 46 for this. While they were on the stormy sea, Jesus was on his knees in verse 46. Over in Romans 8, we get another little glimpse of what this means for us. So while they were out on the stormy sea, Jesus was on his knees. We read this in Romans 8, verses 31 through 34. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Or is he who, condem who, is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God and also makes intercession for us. In the midst of my storm, Jesus is interceding. In the midst of your storm, Jesus is interceding. You need strength, you need hope, you need wisdom, you need faith. Jesus is interceding in the storm. Number four, Jesus is our greatest need in the storm. Looking at Mark 6, verse 48. So as I face rough times in life, I need strength, I need hope, I need peace, I need comfort, I need courage, I need wisdom, I need faith, I need help. But we see in this story, we are reminded that even needing those things, our greatest need is always Jesus himself. So in verse 48, we have this, um, where it says Jesus walking on the sea would have passed them by. 
I think I've tended to read that as um, he was he was skirting around. That, that's kind of the mental picture we get. I remember. Should should I share that? Um, I remember a situation. No. Okay. I can say that. When I worked at Christian Light, there were days that I took a very specific route to get from wherever I had helped somebody with something to get back to my office. Because I knew that if I didn't, I would get waylaid multiple times along the way. Um, and so... Maybe it was raining, but you got wet anyway because it was just the way to get back and get, start getting things done. And um, I, I think that's the picture I've tended to have of Jesus when I read that, um, whether you read it, read it in the King James, the New King James, this thing of he would have passed them by. I've, I've tended to the, the idea that he, he was kind of skirting around. And that doesn't, Compute that doesn't make sense. And looking at the the word would have or the word that was translated there would have passed them by, um, it means it's determined or means meant intended. And so the phrase could be said he meant to pass by them. But then I still wonder, well, what's up with that? Why was Jesus skirting around them? Well, if he wanted to avoid being seen, he could have, right? We know that. If he wanted to avoid being seen, he could have. In Exodus 33, God talking to Moses says, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, Here is a place by me. You shall stand on the rock, so it shall be while my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Elijah was depressed and wanted to die in 1 Kings 19. God said to him, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. Behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. So it was, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? The language used of Jesus meaning to pass by them starts to make a little more sense if I think of it in how God framed um, relating or, or showing himself and showing his power and showing his glory to Moses, to Elijah, and to those in the Old Testament. It was by a passing by. And that starts to make verse 48 make more sense to me, that 
he was not trying to skirt around them. He was trying to give them a glimpse of him and a glimpse of his power and a glimpse of his glory. He was trying to pass by them in the way that God passed by Moses and God passed by Elijah. I start to see a God who wanted to give them a better view of him. In Matthew 14, the parallel chapter or the parallel passage about this account. When he got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. As far as I can tell, that's the first use of people referring to Jesus as the Son of God, identifying him as divine um, in the New Testament there in the Matthew account. Jesus passed by. They saw Jesus. Jesus' goal, Jesus, what Jesus wanted them to, to get out of this storm was not simply to make them better rowers or better navigators. Jesus wanted them to see him. Even more than I need, even more than we need strength and hope and peace and comfort and courage and wisdom and faith and help in the storm, we need the source of all those things. We need Jesus. Number five, Jesus is with you in the storm. Also in verse 48, he came to them. When I am in the darkest part of the night, Jesus is there. When I'm on the crest of that wave, ready for my little boat to come crashing down the other side, and I don't know what that's going to be like, Jesus is there. Or when I'm at the base of that wave that's looming high above, and I don't know if it will swamp my little boat, Jesus is there. In verse 50, Jesus tells them, Take heart, it's me. Don't be afraid. I don't really know how to do that, but I know I need to do that. Number six, Jesus will lead you through the storm. And this is in verse 51. We read this account in a minute or two. When I read this account early in the week, um, it didn't take me long to get through all of chapter six. A lot of stuff happened. They kept this up for hours. They were in it. And they could have been asking, will this ever end? Can we keep this up? But finally it ended. And I don't know how your storms, the ones you're in right now, or the ones you will face in the future, I don't know how they will unfold. But I do know Jesus will lead you through to the end, and the end will be good. And how do I know that? Back in Romans 8 again. A couple verses before the ones we read earlier. Verses all of us learned as children, probably. Romans 8, 28 through 30. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. 
For whom he foreknew, he also predestined be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he just predestined, those he called, whom he called, those he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. It says, we know, in verse 28, well, I think it'll work out for good. That's not scripture. We know. Now, the original language of the New Testament, you dig into the Greek, all things means all things. All things. All things work for good. Does that mean all good things happen? That only good things happen? Well, no. We live in a broken and fallen world. Each one of us here has been granted by God the privilege and burden of free will, of being able to make choices. And sometimes I make some really lousy choices and that makes your life worse. And there are some bad things that happen for you because of that. Sometimes I make bad choices and then it makes bad things in my life. The scripture isn't telling us that no bad thing ever happens. But we have the promise that all things he can and will produce good from it. He will use it. We know. And lastly, number seven. The last few verses of the passage. Jesus is not just for you and your storms. Jesus is for others in their storms. So this passage doesn't end just with a nice book ending, um, you know, a beautiful landing, a sunrise over a dock as the weary travelers tie up the boat and uh, end of the book. Right after all this, a whole bunch of other needy people come rushing out. And um, it doesn't just end with my storm. I can't just receive the truth of this passage and, the, and, and all I know about the Lord who will be with me through this storm. I can't just take that and internalize it and not spread it. People come with needs. Jesus looked around and saw all the people in the storms of their life, each of them facing in each of their lives. And he was that for them. And I think there's a lesson for me in that too. That as Jesus is working in the storm of my life, I need to spread the truth of who he is and what he can do to the other people in the storms. 
if I live to be used by Jesus in the storm, that really changes what that storm is for me.